0: Now, so if it's your first time here, welcome. If you've been journeying with us, welcome back. This is where we ended last week. I know it looks a little bit different, maybe, uh, to you. This is uh, the phrase that Jesus communicated uh, to the woman after uh, having um, been ill for uh, 12 years, the Scripture says. Uh, After uh, being healed by touching the garment of Jesus, Jesus looks at this woman, calls her daughter, and He says, go in peace. And that's the way it would have looked in the Greek, go in peace. And since last week, this concept of peace, I've really been letting simmer in my heart a little bit more. And I went out to the ranch with my uh, three kids on Friday, the El Shaddai Ranch. If you guys have been out there, beautiful place. It was amazing because uh, no one was out there outside of a few uh, horseback riders. And so that meant that Uh, no one had to wear a swim diaper, which was a blessing, including me, which was I was grateful for that, and uh, like the kids could just run around, there were no um, distractions, there were no noises of airplanes going over my house, there was no smog, Um, is there smog in St. Charles, I'm not sure, but um, it it was like we're all sitting in the the pond at one point, me and my three kids, they're all in their floaties, and me not, Um, and the sun was kind of going down, and I just I, I just sat there for a moment and just was like, this, this is peaceful. It was like something about the feeling, where all of a sudden I was I was drawn in just to communicate this, this is peace. Uh, just this morning, I was sitting in the room that we uh, call the green room, uh, off the stage here, uh, early this morning, listening to Pandora, any Pandora fans here? Yeah? Uh, it's one thing to listen to Pandora, and then it's another thing to listen to the most amazing station on Pandora, one of which is the Braveheart film score uh, station. Like movies like Armageddon, movies like Gladiator, like all of their songs come up. I mean, you want to get fired up at 5.30 a.m., that's what you listen to. I mean, the range of emotions, right? So I'm sitting there on the couch and uh, praying, reading the scripture, a Diet Coke in the table next to me, and I just thought to myself, like, this is, this is serenity. You know, what I mean, mostly because of the Diet Coke, but, you know, all the other factors were nice, too. But there, there was just like a feeling that that went with that, that I was communicating like this must be peace. But, but what about when you don't have the landscape? Like, like what happens to that peace when you don't have a song? What happens when you feel like all of your finances are completely out of control? What do you do with peace then? What happens when you pull out your your phone and you look at the, today, right off the the News Channel 5 web app, here's a couple of the readings, speeding motorcyclist killed in St. Charles' crash, police looking for 17-year-old charged with murder, just to name a couple, and the list goes on and on, like, what do you do with peace when you read stuff like that? What do you do with peace when you look at uh, the man who's impoverished, who's standing on the top of an exit ramp? What do you do with peace when you you feel like your marriage is in turmoil? What do you do with peace when you know that someone's angry at you? What about peace then? It's easy when the right song's playing or when the landscape is perfect. The reality is that's not the majority of our life. And that last week is why we dealt with the question that we did. Why would we ever leave here and seek the Lord on our own apart from the corporate no small group no Bible study no church around us why would we ever do that And my contention to you last week was this when you read the scripture all by yourself and you let the good news of Christ permeate your heart over and over and over the consistent message that you hear through the whole Bible is go in peace I know this seems like it's chaos but I've got it under control, go in peace. And so literally like the last week since last Wednesday, I've been trying to exist in that reality, remembering that that phrase, go in peace, is echoed through all of Scripture and all of time by the power of the Spirit. Are you with me? So last week we, we wrestled with why would we ever do that. Tonight, in the, in the continued theme, in the continued study of Hebrews, we're dealing more with why and how that is possible. This is a significant text in Hebrews. One of the climactic points of the entire book. So I invite you guys to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. I've really uh, fallen in love with this text. We have a lot of work to do in it. We'll only look at four verses tonight. It's crazy that we're in chapter 9. Only a few chapters to go. Again, if you're just joining us, thanks again for coming. I want to read here uh, Hebrews nine eleven through 14 And then we'll start breaking it down as we do. But when, verse 11, Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more, verse 14, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Right? Great, powerful text. Let me pray over the scriptures and then we're going to dive in. All right? God, thank you for this passage. that you have blessed us with the opportunity to study and examine. And I pray right now that it will cut us open, convict us of our distance of you if there may be through sin, and draw us near to you, Lord God, in your holy and awesome name, And all of God's people said, amen. Verse 11 says this, but when Christ appeared as a, as a high priest, now I don't want to continue to be uh, the redundant school of redundancy with you, but for those that haven't been with us, this term, high priest, um, is largely significant. We've studied it several times here in our body, but I do think if you're new, it warrants a thirty-minute, 30-second 30 rather discussion, if that's cool. Uh, a priest, 30 minutes, somebody got scared there. A priest is someone who represents man uh, to God. They kind of act as that mediator between God and man. And the high priest holds a very significant role in Jewish culture. They're the ones charged... On one day out of the entire year, the Day of Atonement, to go into the Holy of Holies. And so the high priest has a high office. The writer's contention of Hebrews has been Jesus is not just a high priest, but he's way better than these guys. Look at this, this next slide here. Uh, These are just a few of the examples... Of some of the high priests, this list isn't exhaustive, some of the high priests that come before the time of Jesus. Some interesting names up there. Name your sons of some of those names. I'd like to see that. Now, the interesting thing you'll note about these names is what? All of the dates have both a beginning and an end. And that's been one of the writer's main points about why the office of Jesus as high priest is much better than these guys. These guys, they have a beginning and an end to their office, but not Jesus. We see him quote an Old Testament passage saying Jesus is the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which was a whole chapter study of ours. So when he talks about Jesus as a high priest, his whole understanding is he's way better than these guys for a litany of reasons, and one of which is these guys die and Jesus doesn't. He says it this way in Hebrews 7. Next slide. Uh, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Here's what he says. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. This high priest, different from every other man, is largely significant. Now back to verse 11. My favorite part of this verse. Check this out. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Now just... To forewarn you, this little chunk of text has got me really fired up, all right? So let's just kind of break this down word for word. Uh, the first word is good. You're like, okay, I, I, I get that. Um, maybe, but listen, in Mark 1.14, the scripture says this, that Jesus came to preach the gospel of God. Now, the Greek word for gospel is, is uh, 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 help me out, Jared. Ulingelion, is that good? Okay, close enough, yeah gelion jared's our greek scholar here right and this word literally means in most instances and cases it means good and so the good things to come through christ that word is synonymous with the gospel and so when we say the gospel is going forth our assumption in saying that is by jesus coming and preaching the gospel he's preaching the good news He's preaching a news of freedom, of forgiveness, and many other things. There are, so, there are so many things in the Scripture that seem so insignificant, but just a little S on a word gets me super excited. You see, I think it's easy for us to think at times that Jesus just came with one good thing, forgiveness. And That's a great thing, and I don't want to downplay it by any stretch. But my friends, Jesus came with many more good things than just forgiveness. Amen? Now, listen to this. We live in a culture where things are too good to be true, right? Every once in a while, though, though we're cynical by nature, we get pulled into something that's too good to be true. I get a phone call last week. Uh, I'm really ashamed to admit this. I get a phone call last week. Dude on the other end of the phone, it's it's an automated message, I can tell, but he's fired up about life. I mean, this guy, I, this is the most excited phone call I've had all day. He, he goes into this spiel, I've been selected, okay? So, like, instantly, I'm, I'm again, like, I'm, I'm cynical. I know that things are too good to be true, but I hear a fired up dude say, I've been selected. Like, I'm like, okay, like, what have I been selected for, you know? So I hang on the phone. Picture me, you know, like, you're, and, and so I'm sitting there. He goes, you've been selected to receive a free vacation, Two nights, three days, and he lists off these like three exotic locations, right? And so I'm sitting there thinking, knowing full well, like this is way too good to be true, right? But there's this little inkling in me, like maybe this is different, right? Like maybe this time, this automated message is completely different than all the others. And so he says, if you're still interested in receiving your free vacation to like, you know, Abu Dhabi, hit five. So I'm like, all right. So I hit five. Same guy. He's still fired up. And he says, thank you so much for confirming your selection to receive this vacation. So I'm just feeling affirmed all over the place, you know? Like, he's not going away from his message. I keep feeling this sense of affirmed. And still in my mind, I'm thinking, like, maybe, maybe this is true, you know? And so finally, um, at the end of this phone call, very ashamed to say this, he asks for all of my information, the automated guy. He asked for my phone number and he asked for my address, right? And so I'm like sitting there looking at my phone. But dude, I'm so like, maybe it's a bit. So I type in my phone number, right? And the moment after I hit that, I'm like, my phone number just got sold to like every single person on the gold green earth. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm going to start receiving automated messages all over the place. But listen to this. Two or three minutes later, I get a phone call, right? And now it's a real person, not an automated person. It's a real person. He's like, hey, so excited, Mark, that you were chosen to receive this free vacation and I'm just, I'm just calling now to let you know how this process works. And so I'm like, okay, how, how does this, thinking still like maybe. And he says, well, here's the deal. Uh, tomorrow, we need you to come to a five-hour meeting. And then you're going to be put in a drawing with a hundred other people to win your free vacation. And I'm like, have a nice day, sir. You know what I'm saying? I just give this, have you? It's so ludicrous. But the craziest thing can draw us in because of maybes. Maybe it's true. The incredible thing about the Lord Jesus is we're not working on maybes. The good things, they're not just luring us in with maybe this could be, or maybe this might be, or maybe this was. We're dealing with things that at the depth and the core are completely and wholeheartedly true. But our problem is we pigeonhole, focus on a few of these things, and maybe major on a primary thing while forgetting all of the other blessings that have come with Christ. Are you with me? Now let me say it another way. When you first came to uh, when you first came to faith, for those of you that are believers here, this initial moment or initial journey, whatever your process looked like of salvation, where you believed that He was Lord and Savior died, resurrected, all these truths came alive to you. There was probably this sense of freedom, of bliss, and maybe another Christian said to you at some point, hey, guess what? Uh, Hey, enjoy this feeling now because it's going to go away. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard people say that to to new young Christians? Hey, look, dude, just ride this roller coaster wave of excitement because here in about three or four months, like, you're going to be frowning again, you know, because then real life is going to hit. It's implying that there's, that there's not something to look forward to. It's implying that everything we know about Jesus happens at the onset of salvation. What I've learned is when I began faith in Christ, it was just the beginning. As I grew in my knowledge of the Lord Jesus, my friends, the good things keep on coming. There is not an end to the goodness of Christ. And now, having been saved, sanctified, redeemed for many years, what I can truly say is the more you know of the Lord Jesus, the more good you see. It doesn't just begin and then stop at forgiveness, it keeps coming. And the moment you think you've grasped it, his scripture comes alive again, and you realize another new grace that is brand and fresh and new right now. Are you with me? And so these good things, my friends, uh, uh, so when you, when you go on vacation, you schedule a trip for like two months away, right? What, like what's happening in you, or whatever, you're, like you're pumped about a meeting tomorrow with a friend. We get excited because we're looking forward to that. We have so much to look forward to, so much. And not just for an eternity, but even here and now, so much more so many perspectives of Christ, so many experiences of His grace, so many relationships, and as excited as we get, my friends, about a vacation or a trip and looking forward to something, I don't know about you, but I can't wait for His mercies to be new again tomorrow that I can learn again the power and the depth of who He is. Are you with me? So He comes with good things, not singular, plural, then through, look at this, the greater and more perfect tent. Not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Now this tent that we're talking about, put up my slide. This is what we looked at last week. You remember? I colored this, fashioned it with a crayon. Ah, crayon. This is the tent, the tabernacle, that God ordained in Exodus and many chapters forthcoming about how it was that He was to be worshipped. And so he designed this 150 feet long by 75 foot wide structure with a 35 foot wide gate that stood seven and a half feet tall. That opened into a courtyard with three primary, uh, two primary pieces of furniture that then went into a 45 by 15 by 15 foot tall tent. And it's in that that he was to be worshipped. Now, what the scripture says is, is where Jesus as a high priest is not in a tent made by human hands. Now, that's well and good for us, but you don't understand. Who is the audience here? Jewish Christians. Well, the thing about a Jewish Christian is they have a bit of a history with this concept of the place of worship. This is what it starts out as. Guess what? In the 900s BC, you know what that thing becomes? A massive temple. Then, I Problema, in 605, Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem his first ransack of Jerusalem, he comes back in 586 and what happens to the temple? Gone, destroyed. It's rebuilt a little bit later. And guess what? Hebrews is written probably in 62, 63, 64 A.D. Anyone knows, know what happens in 70 A.D.? The temple flattens again, destroyed again. So these Jews know full well that their temple has already been destroyed. And they're hearing that this high priest, he doesn't minister and serve as high priest in a tent or something that was a temple that another king came in and conquered and destroyed. He's someplace else. He's in the heavens. He He is ministering and serving, as we saw several weeks ago, in a place that isn't constructed by human hands and will not be conquered. Are you with me? And so to a Jew... In their minds, they're instantly making this distinction between what was a high priest and their concept and what is a high priest in Jesus better than this. Now he goes on in verse 12. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful text. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Blood has played an interesting role in Christianity, which is a little bit strange. 18,000 or so animals were killed on every Passover, it's estimated. 18,000. You times that by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Passover, And there has been a significant amount of blood spilt in the name of sacrifice. But it all originated where? In redemptive history for the Jews. Where? The doorposts in Egypt. As they uh, paint the top of the doorpost, for lack of a better term, with the lamb's blood. Their uh, children are spared and not killed. The Egyptian sons are killed. And Pharaoh lets his people go. And it begins a whole process of using blood as the significant measure of sacrifice for what purpose have you ever just sat down and wondered and thought why so much blood hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years 18,000 times hundreds and why so much blood so that one sacrifice one person's blood spilt changes everything. God and his creativity and sovereignty would allow hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years worth of animal sacrifice come so that in one sacrifice of his son, it could all be fulfilled in Jesus to show how much greater Jesus is. So let's make a comparison from this text, Jesus versus the high priest. Okay? Back to uh, back to my uh, map here, the the courtyard. A high priest would have to enter through the gate. They would have to cleanse themselves at the basin. Then they would have to go in, trim the lampstands, burn the incense, make all of the preparations, and then the high priest, only on one day of the year, allowed in the most holy place. It was a process, and you guys know as I've taught. If a high priest went in to that most holy place, unclean, he was killed. Only one day out of the entire year was that presence of God to be manifested. That's the human high priest. Guess what Jesus does? Waltzes in the imagery right through all of this. The scripture says the curtain tears into it as death. He goes right to the holy of holies. Why? Because he's unblemished. He needs not sacrifice for himself. You see? And instead, guess what he does? He offers himself. Not bulls or calves or goats. He puts himself on the altar. Does it interest you, because I've been processing this, that no high priest, and I've done some research, I tried to call my rabbi friend, he didn't answer, so I can't confirm this with him, but... Isn't it interesting... That through redemptive history and all of the scriptures recording the high priest, there's not one high priest ever who just like woke up one day and was like, you know what? Like, why don't, why don't I try to do something about this? Why don't I try to sacrifice maybe myself in place of all of this? It never even occurs in their minds from what we can tell that they could offer themselves. But Jesus, the God-man, comes, places himself on the altar of sacrifice, goes right through all of these passages, the curtain tears in two and makes way into the Holy of Holies. And then because of that, he brings all of those sons and daughters of God with him. The high priest, the human high priest, goes in alone. And because of Jesus, now all of a sudden, We all go with him. Him and the initial sacrifice, but now peace and way to God has been made possible through Christ. Are you with me? Okay, that's well and good Jesus versus the high priest. Let's talk Jesus versus animals here for a second, shall we? Is that cool? All right, this sounds a little strange. Uh, Some of you who are uh, PETA people, is that the right, is PETA the animal thing? Okay, I didn't know if that was a food, that's the FDA or the SG, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, animals versus Jesus. Okay? An animal, they know nothing about what's going on. An animal is completely unaware of what is happening in the sacrifice. 18,000 on just the Passover, and all 18,000 of those animals know nothing about what's happening. They're not talking to the high priest and saying, oh, I guess this is for sacrifice, so take me now. Right? None of them are saying that. They don't know what's going on. Jesus, on the other hand, is fully aware through his whole life journey that he was born to die. He came in a lonely manger for the sole purpose of living on this earth perfectly and going to a cross and walking out of a tomb. Are you with me? That's the plan. That's the story. He knows full well An animal, sacrificed, doesn't know what's going on. Also, an animal has no choice. Okay? I mean, he may have put up a fight or two, but the animal goes because the master calls it, or in some cases, because it's bound. Jesus obeys perfectly the will of his Father and goes willingly as the sacrifice. And so when we start talking about the depth and the wonder and the awe of the blood of Jesus, different from all of these thousands and thousands and thousands of animals, how about the picture of a God-man who willingly offers himself, passes through all of these things so that peace can be made to God for you. Now I want to pause and ask this question. Has it ever dawned on you? Has it ever sunk into your dome. What trouble God has went to so that right now, in this moment, all of this history and all of this future could simply culminate in the power of an understanding of who Jesus is. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of history. So in one moment in time, you could get the weight and the impact of the once-for-all sacrifice. The priests go in year after year after year, and Jesus goes in once, and it's done. Unbelievable stuff. Verse 13, he goes on. A transitional verse. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, what he's saying is, all of these Old Testament understanding of sacrifice, it purifies the flesh. All of the forgiveness, all of the things that are happening in terms of redemption are all temporary and all in the flesh. If that's what that does, purifies, sanctifies. Hagiazo is the word word sanctify. It's uh, It's used for holiness in another term. Verse 14, look at this. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God as the perfect Passover Lamb purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If all of these sacrifices, hundreds of years worth, can purify in the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ do it? been thinking a lot about this statement you have any relationships that you just feel like solely exist because people guilt you into them in other words do you have any relationships where you hang out with that particular person because they just heap on the guilt about why it is that you should be with them right so we haven't hung out in a good three days what are you doing tomorrow right and you like you're like I don't really want to hang with this person but I'm also tired of the guilt just being heaped on me over and over. Do you have any family members that are like this with you? Hey, I haven't talked to you in a week or so. You busy? Remember I birthed you? Remember that whole thing, you know? Do, are we still in relationship here, right? Then there's the other side of guilt. Hey, remember all those things I've done for you? Remember how I did all that for you? Remember that oh yeah, remember that? I think it's time that we hang out then. Come seeing the feeling of insufficiency because you're busy, and then it also comes because you owe them something. God isn't a restaurant manager, He's not an angry restaurant manager. Where all of us are like serving. Have you ever worked in a restaurant before? Where all of us are serving. And we walk into work. And then he just starts guilting us into service. Yeah, hey, it's, it's nice you showed up to work today. Because yesterday you sure didn't seem too interested. So I'm glad you're here. Hey, remember all that grace stuff that I did for you? Here, I want you to go over there and serve those people now. And then we go back to God and we give them a high five. Hey, did you see what I did over there? I had this manager that I worked for in the serving industry in my hometown, Vandalia, Illinois, Ponda Grossa Steakhouse. No one, seriously, no one liked this manager. Because what she was, was a tyrant who all the time just bossed people around, no one really cared for. I tried to love on the woman, it was extremely difficult, but all she did was bark out orders. Go do this, go do that. And then you felt like like you were just trying to make her happy all the time, like that maybe she would smile. I fear that many of us are approaching our service to God as if He hasn't purified our conscience. As if He's holding something over us in guilt. Hey, remember this grace thing that I did for you? Why don't you just serve me for once? Hey, remember all the ways that I've loved you? Hey, we haven't hung out in a while. Why don't you go over there to that table and do some service? Love on these people. Share more things about me. Proclaim the good news of the gospel. My friends, the power of the once and for all blood sacrifice of Jesus is our conscience is completely purified. No guilt. No guilt on either side there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus he's not guilting us in to serve he's not holding grace over our heads saying remember this you better serve me nor my friends is he saying we haven't hung out in a while you better come to me in a guilting way all of it is based on no guilt free conscience by the power and the purification of the blood of Jesus Christ allowing us To serve purely. Not an angry restaurant God. But a God who loved enough. In the depth of who he is. To send his son. And to end animal sacrifice. Are you with me? So that all of us today. Could sit back and all of a sudden be freed from the guilt that I know that each of you feel at some point or another. And maybe it's just from other Christians. Yeah, haven't seen you in a while. Where have you been? And instead of taking a loving, gracious approach, we are some of the worst guilters there is. Amen? Christians in general are some of the best at heaping guilt on people. And so then we just create a whole nation of people that are, due to, uh, that are in duty serving God. Instead of, no, no, you don't understand. The good things that Christ has come, my only response to those good things is continually to be in awe of the good things and the good image and person and work that he is. I have to serve. I must serve. I have no choice but to serve. And all that culminates because the once for all sacrifice is completely enough. I want you guys to stand with me, please. Now, let me ask you this. Are you feeling used by God right now in your life, in your existence? Are you feeling used by God? Do you feel like your gifts are being used? you feel like your talents are being put to service and work? You feel like everything that's going around you is just like this one big response to all that God has done. Do you feel like right now in your life, in your existence, that you're being used by him? And it's to this question that I have heard and seen many responses. And most times what I see when asked that question of Christians, they blame their lack of being used by God on the church. It's the church's fault. They don't have enough programs for me. They don't have enough stuff for me to use my gifts. They don't have enough things for me to be able to produce. It's the church's fault. It's those people's fault. And you know what? It's all centered around people needing permission to serve a living God. You don't need permission, my friends. You have been given The blessing of having a conscience, a soul that's been completely purified. You need no permission. You don't need God signing the parental waiver form saying, go serve me. And so last week where we ended was this. Go in peace. But we go in peace. Next slide. Listen to this. Because the sacrifice is alive. What animal of the 18,000 year after year after year, what animal ever after being sacrificed all of a sudden stood up on the altar? That number is zero. But our Christ willingly offered himself, was sacrificed on the altar, and my friends, guess what? He walked out of the tomb. Our sacrifice is alive. Hundreds and hundreds of animals dead, and our Christ is alive. Therefore, we're freed to serve and to love because we follow a living God who's purified our conscience and so no longer I'm not being used I just don't know what to do look around all of our service my friends is people to people faces With real names and real hearts and real struggles, neighbors of yours, people at the store that you see every day, people you work with. All of these people are just waiting to be served and engaged, and you're waiting on someone to give you permission. You've got it. Permission's been given you by a God who sent his son, and his son died willingly, and then he walked out of the tomb. No more guilt freedom to serve Christ let's pray God you're good so good and I thank you for the good things that come from you I thank you that they're insurmountable that I cannot fathom them all that they just keep coming I thank you God that your goodness has so much to be looked forward to and I pray right now God that you would help us not rest in our dead works that mean nothing. But you would help us serve because you're living. God, stir our hearts with the desire to love because you first loved us.